Welcome to The Renegade Economist with your host Carl Fitzgerald where each week we shine the light on the powers of monopoly whether they are landlords, bankers or all of those former public utilities that have been privatised they have the ability to make easy money and uh, that's where we believe economists should be focusing their attention on in order to provide both a more efficient and fairer economic uh, system. So uh, today we are in discussion with two young econometricians. They're statistical economists. Tamara is from Argentina and Varsha is from India. They're helping us with a number of projects in the office at the moment. So it was great to have them on board. They're talking in light of the role of corruption and uh, what's known in India as black money. And that's a cash economy and how influential it's uh, becoming in light of the blockbuster report released uh, late last week by Transparency International called Doors Wide Open. All right, let's step into the interview. So the influence of black money has been a big issue in India, Varsha. Tell us about what President Modi did last year. So Prime Minister Modi, uh, one night he just woke up and he said, um, so it was uh, 8th of November 2016 at 8 o'clock in the evening, he decided that he'll say that uh, we won't be accept the, the money, the, the currency notes of 500 and 1000 will be going off the market. And you have the time to um, change that, exchange that till thirty first, uh, till thirty first of December. So uh, they, the people, just had four hours of time. It was going off in four hours, so it was taking place after midnight. So eighth November, midnight, two thousand sixteen, that was taking place. So for just for four hours. People had to figure out what to do with that money, you know, with the so many disposable 500 and 1,000 rupees notes. But they still had till the end of December, did you say? Yeah, they had uh, time till 8th of December, but uh, there was a limit of uh, 2.5 lakh rupees. So they could exchange that money, uh, 2.5 lakh rupees, and nothing would happen to them. But what if people have two point, more than 2.5 lakh of money? So this is what the unaccounted money was with them. So if they, so the cash was readily disposable to them, and usually India has just eight percent of the bank transaction overall. Everything else is just cash transactions. So they have a lot of cash reserves. Indians have a lot of cash reserves possible. Gold just reserves 8%, and cash. Wow. Eight percent is bank transactions. Everything else is just cash transactions. It's about ninety percent plus here in Australia. Uh, bank-related transactions, especially now with the uh, pay wave. People aren't realising every time they do that pay wave, it's costing the small business owner 3% in, in bank fees. But uh, the banks aren't getting many fees over in India, are they, with all this cash economy? They must be keen to sort of wind that down and encourage... Uh, more transactions on the credit side of things. So that's that's what the major idea was to you know to have more of a transparent credit and cash system. The money should be accounted for. So right now a very good thing has happened. People who have you know deposited more over 2.5 lakh rupees in their account, they have been sent notices. And that has been just going on since last week. They have been sent notices and they are supposed to let them know that how where this money came from. They have to let the government know. So it's uh, so this was a plan again of Prime Minister Modi, 
um so he said that you know if it's above 2.5 lakh then only they'll be you know asked to account the money for and so a lakh is like a billion dollars is it uh lakh is 100000 100000 right yeah so, so that is rupees yep. yeah yeah so 2 lakhs is 200000 and so 250000 2.5 lakhs So 200 250,000 rupees I'm talking about here. So but nobody knew that you know it the threshold limit would be decreased to 200,000 and so now people have to you know account for how where did they get the 50,000 rupees from which is equivalent to $1,000. And how has that affected the economy? My parents have been trying to sell off a um a land that we have but unfortunately we are not finding any buyers the real estate market the gold market they have and the stock market has all crashed down so there is a supply of things but there since there is no cash uh, disposable with people there is no demand of it so things are like pretty going slack right now uh, i think uh, there were like uh, some dump uh, in the cash and sorry in the stock market as well which was the lowest dump since 2011 that was you know when we were recovering from global financial crisis and because cash is such a a, a large uh, a transaction body of money that uh, it's really had a, a bigger effect than what they thought yeah that was a huge effect i don't know if you know this but there have been like 33 casualties during this this uh, demonetization process that go, went on casualties so, as in 33 people died during this economic uh suicide cleansing. or what so there were suicides there were like people who were waiting on the atm lines and banking lines and they just you know lost it because the line was huge they didn't eat or they didn't you know and there was a time where um they didn't know what to do with the money they have so there was a lot of money they had and so there was a chance the government is going to nail them down so out of that fear as well they have committed suicide so there were like 33 casualties they have been run down on the atm lines people have walked over each other and there were casualties like that as well oh a stampede to stampede, to yeah. get cash out cash as out well as to deposit in. it yes. yeah yeah wow geez so and i saw some reports that uh, just prior to this announcement there or a real estate analyst uh, was talking about how it was going to lead to a 40% drop in real estate prices but according to the Indian Reserve Bank uh, housing index prices have not fallen uh hugely the rate of growth has dropped off but there hasn't been actually a crash no there hasn't been crash when it comes to prices but there has been a uh, a slack when it comes to sales the turnover has so dropped the turnover has dropped right yeah. and since there is a lot of uh, infrastructural and uh, projects so that kind of projects going on so there have been really less things to sell like less amount of buildings to sell and again there has been a couple of problems where you know there is a vacant land and vacant property available there but there are no not much buyers mm-hmm. you're on 3CR's Renegade Economist and today we're talking with Tamara from Argentina and Varsha from India about uh, some of the economic uh, plays that are underway there and Tamara uh, the response to black money in uh, Argentina uh, has it had similar dramatic effects hopefully uh, not not uh, deaths in in the community 
like we just heard of in India. No, no, luckily this have, haven't happened there. But actually it's a really, really uh, new policy. So the this, um, this black money was declared for the last time yesterday. So these are really, really latest news. So we actually cannot tell what are the right so it's le less than 48 hours ago less this than 48 hours so it seems like there's a bit of a global trend isn't it here in australia they've just announced a um uh, a subcommittee to investigate the black economy they're they're thinking uh, it's in the billions of dollars of cash money and with all of these cash staffed governments around they're trying to find ways to access this black money. Well, yes, uh, especially in the Latin America region, uh, I believe new governments are arising and they really need uh, to to try to stimulate people to bring the money back to, the, to our countries and to make some productive things with that money. And this is why in many Latin America countries they are trying to 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 make people declare this money so it can be uh, actually taxed or uh, if it is overseas tax or just um, put it back into the system and make it productive. For me with the Transparency International report this week showing that Australia was the worst out of the four Anglosphere countries uh, analysed in terms of available tax loopholes with some 70% of all Chinese purchases here in Australia being cash only it seems like it's quite a common practice for black money to be washed through real estate. And one of the biggest criticisms Transparency had for Australia was that there's no actual due diligence required on the real estate industry if the, someone turns up with suitcases of cash to buy a property. And uh, it must seem sus to those who are involved in it. This is a little bit suspect, someone turning up with all this money to buy real estate. But uh, for too long, they've been able to get away Away with it and we've seen plenty of examples in global news about it it's great that there seems to be a bit of momentum uh, to try and address this in this era of the never-ending housing bubble yes uh, I think at least in Argentina it's happening the same especially in the real estate market uh, most of the properties are bought with uh, by cash and this uh, brings many many problems when it comes to taxation actually because uh, this cash system of paying makes uh, make it not clear how much have you actually paid for a property and this is when when it comes to taxation uh, is uh, really not clear what you are taxing mm, that's right and uh you know, for uh, developing nations, this is an issue, isn't it? Of how you have a, a transparent uh, recording of data through to recognition of incomes, expenses, a whole accounting framework that the tax system uh, hangs off in, in places like India. A lot of it is being based on trust and perhaps who you know. So like what Tamara said right now, there have been a lot of um, transaction that's over the counter. It's over, you know, over the cash count, over the... Under the counter. Under the counter and with the cash transactions. And there is not much of a property or um, transparency when it comes to taxa taxation. So that's the same case with us as well. 
in India as well, like I said, there's just only 8% bank transaction. And there is, like in, like in Australia, if you want to buy a property or a land, a lot of things that you have to go through, a lot of steps that you have to go through. So like for a stamp duty, you have to go through a real estate agent, you have to go through a property manager, you have to show your funds, you have to do a lot of things. But when it comes to India, you just have to show, you just have to sign a couple of papers and that is just a transfer papers. So nobody would ask you like, you know, where did you get the money from or how did you get it? And you and that just happens in municipalities, municipal corporations. You just have to go, two parties have to go and just sign that off. So how would you go then if we had something like a Cyclone Debbie, which has wiped out two states here in Australia, uh, Queensland and New South Wales, full of floods. And in a lot of countries, you do not have the land title paperwork to prove who owns what piece of land. And so I know in Sri Lanka, when they had the big tsunamis there, it was devastating for a lot of local people, particularly the poor, because there was no record saying, I actually own this piece of land. Uh, it's a delicate story, that one. Yeah. Um, so usually what happens is, uh, if somebody is going to acquire a land or a property and so uh, they, if there is no absolutely no record with the government or with municipalities so they post an ad in a newspaper saying that I'm going to buy this property of this person for uh, at this point of time if you think that you have uh, an entitlement over that property come forward before this time or else this property would be taken care of or this would be bought by this person so and so so you really uh, if there is no absolutely no record in the government in the books of government you have to post an advertisement and you have to get um, no objection certificate NOC and what about in Argentina? How, how do things play there with uh, proving who owns what piece of property? It's actually the same. Here you have two different situations in, going on in Argentina. Uh, on one hand, uh, you have maybe poor people who have to prove they own uh, a piece of land. And this is usually is the same uh, process that she was actually explaining now is kind of the same so then the government uh, published on the newspaper we, we want to know who the owner of this land is and then you have to prove that you have been paying taxes over that land for uh, over that property not land for several years and then they finally give you the the paper and then there's also a another ca another case that's really really important uh, that happens in the other extreme of society that is really rich people who have usually uh, many, many properties on other people's name to try to avoid, yes. <laughs> to avoid the taxes. <laughs> yes, oh. yes. So that is basically the, pro the, uh, you know, the process of tax evasion. So you buy properties and businesses on the name of your family members and relatives. Exactly. And just show that, you know, it's not yours, but basically it's yours. And I think we've discussed this before as well, Carl, that this has been going on in Australia as well sometimes. In a couple of suburbs that's been going on that, you know, they buy properties, the lands and assets on the name of their own relatives here as well. But that the, the number is relatively low. But back home, like, I don't know about Argentina, but India, that is a hell lot of issue. Yeah, it's certainly a, a bit of an issue here in Australia, uh, but in Argentina? Well, probably the number of cases is not really big. The thing is the amount of money that is represented in that 
uh, in that kind of uh, of financial operations, right? And maybe it's, there are not many cases like that, but the amount of money is really big, and the t- the, the evasion is really big as well. Let's cut to the chase. We've got this theme, really, of the financialization of housing. You've opened up the currency exchange in Argentina. People always say, look, foreign investment is good. It brings more jobs. But uh, if you're buying up the land, it's pushing up the prices for the rest of the community, having to pay more in rent, having to borrow more from the bank. How do people think about those things? Is there any discussion about whether foreign investment is good? I mean, it's that fever pitch here in Australia now. People are wanting someone to blame for our property bubble and these Chinese buyers paying cash, which they're only, I think, 3% of all purchases in Australia are Chinese-related and 70% of that use cash. But uh, it's as if uh, are they're to blame for all of the largesse that's, that's evolving in the economy. Well, this is a really uh, tricky question, actually, because there has, it has been a big discussion over this field. What trying to figure out whether foreign investi- investments are actually good for uh, employment and economic activity or not, and I believe it depends what kind of uh, foreign investment. And when it comes to real estate investments. Well, in my opinion, it will only push up the the price of the of the properties and will make it even harder for normal citizens to ha- think of having their own property. Right? This is really uh, hard for people who actually earn money in in domestic currency, and it's actually really really difficult to get a long term loan because of the <laughs> exotic uh, inflation rate is <laughs> amazing. 30%, it's that did surprise me. And I wonder, because in Australia, in a, most of the Anglosphere, they've pulled real estate out of the inflation figures, the imputed rents on the family home, which is basically two-thirds of the Australian real estate market, two-thirds of all that inflation. We heard this week 20% increase in Sydney housing prices in a year. Uh, I think it was about 13% here in Melbourne. But we have record low inflation rates. Yes. Well, I, I've been working on that back in, in Argentina, actually. And we were making some research uh, on long-term loans. And the thing is... There's nothing to discuss about until inflation doesn't go down. There's no possible way to push a bit uh, long-term credit until the inflation rate goes down. So um, back in Argentina, do you have like a long-term loan on a property? Yes, yes, they exist, but they, they are really, really... An, um, there are not many. Not many. Not yeah. many. Because to to access to a long-term loan, you have to actually have a, enough money that you so much money that you can actually buy the the house without the loan, right? Because you need to be sure that you will be able to repay. And with this inflation rate, for local people renting, who are they renting off? Are they renting off foreign corporations or wealthy families or local corporations? Who owns all the real estate? And are high inflation rates acting as a useful tool? to stop competition so they can own more of the the land. Yes, well mainly they are foreign uh, yes, yes, mainly they are foreign. Really? 
and also wealthy families that uh, this is really all wealthy ha families from Argentina who uh, also uh, own most of the land, productive land, and make some pressures over the price. Yeah, some uh, the the same people that were making speculations with the land and and uh, with the exports. So, what we call the one percent. And uh, what about in India with the one percent? Uh, are they the ones owning most of the land? Or we're seeing more influence now of big uh, international real estate companies. I know, I know Blackstone Capital. Uh, where their CEO Steve Schwartzman earns seven hundred million dollars a year, they are now setting up commercial industrial uh, business parks in in Mumbai. So watch out for Blackstone. Yeah. So um. So what you said about Blackstone that is very much new right now. Uh, when it comes to foreign direct investment in India, there has been a lot of issues. As in, there has been a lot of talks going on about it, whether we should let them enter or not. I remember particularly back in 2012, we were discussing if they should enter our retail market or not, because they're gonna hamper our retail, uh, like small um, business houses, who who lives off these small shops, who are local community and they're gonna hamper that so there, there is a very less investment when it comes to real estate from foreign direct investors it's basically in either stock exchange or uh, it's basically in uh, airlines and infrastructure business like you just said but not more of a residential or agricultural estate market uh, so far well, that's good. You're lucky because I thought they might have uh, loosened up some of the the foreign investment laws in India as part of this global commodification of housing. Um, they have loosened up a couple of laws, but they it's not easy to get into market yet, even for foreign investors. It's because uh, like we were discussing that our RBI is has a really strong stance on who's investing what, on what our ratios should should be like you know credit rate. Uh, credit ratios or liquidity ratios that's going on, how much the bank should actually give them, uh, give uh, um, loans to people or to the government or, you know, or uh, to the commercial houses. They have really, you know, stiffened up the, especially after 2009 crisis, they really try to scrutinize everything. But of course, that saved us really. So we really have a major role of RBI in India. So it's really hard to get foreign investment into our, you know, all the other sectors without giving them some basis, like, you know, what's going on. And they really think about the local community there. Well, what they're doing uh, in uh, China, what some Australian developers are doing is having an offshore office in Beijing and uh, that's where people are bringing the, the cash, the hard cash, and paying for real estate to buy off the plan here in Australia. So there's been something like a 300% increase in uh, questionable investments, uh, uh, suspicious transactions in the two years with $4 billion coming from China alone. So there's a lot of concern about all this money. Um, I, I'd hate to know what's happening with all the American money that's been pump primed under QE3, uh, some $4 trillion plus dollars circling the globe looking for somewhere to make easy money. And uh, 
what uh, is of concern is that um, whilst we have increased our stamp duty charges on foreign investors in Victoria from 3% to 7% and we've tripled the land tax rate from half a percent surcharge to 1.5%, it really has had no real um, impact on prices. But just out is news out of Vancouver where they had a 15% increase on a foreign investment sales tax uh, announced last year. Well, it's led to some quite significant falls in uh, prices over there. So that's something we're going to keep an eye on here on The Renegade Economist is what's happening in that field. Okay, so there we go. A bit of a rant from me on uh, what's happened uh, with foreign investment. As I keep saying, uh, you know, basically 89% of Australian real estate is bought by Australians. 11% is international. 3% is Chinese. 70% of that 3% is via cash. So it's not a huge, you know, it's not to blame for everything. But let's transition out of that. And Varsha, here is a good news story um, from both your countries. And Varsha, you had some uh, very interesting uh, findings regarding Uttar Pradesh and uh, the farming community there has been facing suicides and problems with droughts and all of the climate ravaged sort of challenges we have in this modern day era. What has the state government come up with? Uttar Pradesh just had a new chief minister that is Yogi Adityanath and he announced that around 7.4 billion US dollars of loans to be waived off over the farmers. So nearly 21 million of the farmers are going to get affected by this and nearly um, five, sorry, that is 1 billion US dollars to be waived off totally over non-performing assets in India. That is just this, this story of Uttar Pradesh, which has population of nearly 204 million, which has 92% of them are farmers. So majority of farming community is there in Uttar Pradesh and there's around 7.4 billion US dollars to be waived off on their loans, around $2,000 to be waived off on every farmer. That is going to be around 700,000 farmers that they don't have to pay 1 lakh rupees or $2,000 of their loan. So it's a, a, a jubilee in a way, a debt relief, uh, which is just such refreshing news. We need to see more of this. Uh, the government's going to sell uh, bonds to the market to raise money to pay that off. Everybody knows that India has a lot of issues when it comes to weather. You know, anything could go wrong and farming is not, you know, not really based on technology, it's based on weather, it's based on people over there. So this is probably one of the major steps that has happened in recent times, after demonetization, of course. Mm, it's great to see some progressive monetary reforms in India. Hopefully we could see more debt relief happening around the world because if we're paying less to banks, we've of course got more money to uh, buy local produce in our communities to uh, to invest in local businesses. So Tamara Lojo, can you give us a positive news story out of Argentina? What gives you hope that your country's on the right track? Well, to start with, I think... Uh, it is a good sign that the new government is uh, making all this public statistics again because for the last 12 years we didn't have any proper statistics about poverty or inflation which leads to 
even more speculation, right? When you are not sure what the real inflation is, or uh, then you just in case increase your prices, right? And this was actually part of the increase in prices was explained like this. People just couldn't measure properly uh, what is going to happen, and this is why they were increasing prices. So hopefully with these realistic economic measures and with more foreign investments and with less inflation rates, maybe we can expect the new government to help people to to um, improve their economic situation and help them to uh, access to, to credits, to build houses, to have their own property, to pay the rent. Uh, so we, we really expect poverty to uh, be lower, hopefully. So that was Tamara Lojo and Varsha, two interns, discussing uh, the economic story in their nations uh, according to uh, the current economic policy plays in, in action. And in both nations, in so many nations, the world of uh, uh, the cash economy, the the money through uh, all of these illegal drugs and who knows what else are being channeled into real estate, pushing up prices, making things even harder for us to uh, access uh, a place to call home. So that's our uh, one of our prime aims here on The Renegade Economist is to uh, assist people get more affordable housing. Keep uh, the pressure on all the comments, all the uh, talkback stations.